the Bitcoin Consciousness podcast. I'm here today with Fluke. Welcome, Fluke. Hi, hi. Hi, everyone. So Fluke and I met a few years ago in Kupangang, Thailand, when I was doing a retreat called Inner Walk. And uh, Fluke is one of the founders of Wonderland Healing Resort in Kupangang, Thailand. And Inner Walk is one of their programs. And since then, I've been a few times there. And it's one favorite place on the planet for me and my family. So I'm really happy to have you here, Fluke. I'm really curious to see where this is going to go and what we're going to share and talk about. And I'm I'm even excited. Me too, me too. So maybe to make some sense out of this, let's start with uh, you describing your journey, where you're from and how you ended up in Thailand. Okay. So I'll say that I'm 45 years old. I'm a father to two. I have a son who is almost 20 and a daughter. She's 11. Um, been living in Thailand for the last 11 years. If I go back to my past, I come from technology and uh, business. And I was very deep into like uh, the work reality, the business reality, technology and stuff like this. And uh, I will say that uh, there was an interesting point about 15 years ago where my partner in, in, in my business uh, told me that it's either he goes to the office or I go to the office. And I said, okay, you go to the office. And since then, uh, in the last 15 years of my life, I didn't really need to go to the office. So, so I had plenty of time. And basically since then, which is about 15 years now, I invested and spent most of my time with people. So I shared a lot of time with people in various fields um, in the general intention of supporting their journey. So if I go back, you know, uh, 15 years ago, it was mostly around business coaching and uh, and more of like materialistic uh, solving problem uh, and things like this. As, as my journey progressed, uh, I became more and more focused about self-development and consciousness and awareness, um, understanding, I will say, the human technology. Some people get a little bit triggered when I call it the human technology, but but I think that uh, at the end of the day, we are all human beings and our system as a human is quite similar and we don't understand how it works. And so I invested a lot of my time and my research uh, in understanding the human experience. And next to that, I also um, invested a lot of time in understanding how is the uh, phenomena of... Uh, of the experience living on this planet. As, uh, some people will call it the teaching of the Dharma, or uh, sometimes I like to call it uh, the rules of reality. So uh, in, in a word, I will, uh, I will say it like this, like we're all playing a certain game. The question, if we understand the rules of the game, and if we don't understand the rules of the game, how can it impact our lives? So I would say that if you understand how a human being is operated, and you understand the rules of the game that we're all playing, I assume that automatically your quality of life will be improved uh, significantly just by understanding those things. And this is what I kind of uh, uh, sharing with people these days in my life. And, and of course, keeping my own study about myself and about life. And, and you come from Israel originally. I think you maybe forgot to say that. Yeah, I was I was born in Israel. Um, I I had a, I, I lived there until eleven years ago, but uh, I was traveling the world mostly for business and work related stuff since I was uh, twenty years old. So it's now like twenty five years that I'm I've been all around the world. I've been living in different places around the world, like Brazil and and Holland and and uh, England and many other places. Um, I will say that I'm an Israeli. Uh, I was born as an Israeli, but I'm not that identified with the concept of Israel. Uh, I haven't been visiting there for many, many years. But for sure, there is a lot of Israeli inside of me. But I don't identify with it uh, so much. And how come you ended up in Kupangang? 
Wow. Um, uh, with the years and time, I was uh, becoming more focused about uh, two main things. One of them is uh, my community, and the other one is uh, self-development. And Copangan uh, has naturally become the place where I feel that I can uh, develop uh, mostly in the main two things of my life, which one of them is the community, which is basically um, with the years, there is more and more people that I'm kind of sharing my life with. And so we are living in the same environment and living in the same place, like, like the same village. And... Uh, and I think Thailand had become something like a place that I, I felt really comfortable. That's why I moved here 11 years ago. And about six years ago, I understood the island of Copangan is a very uh, nice place for me and my community to establish a home. And so we all moved to Copangan and kind of co-created the village where we are living today. Uh, many people know it as Wonderland Healing Center, but many people don't know that it's actually a village that we, we live in. And another thing is that specifically Copangan is an island that attracts uh, a lot of uh, people that are in the same kind of path of self-development, self-exploration. So you have a lot of like yogis on the island, a lot of people who meditate, a lot of people who practice different spiritual practices. And so it's kind of a very comfortable place to establish activities in the fields of what I'm focused on. Uh, uh, today in my life. So if I take, for example, Wonderland as a place that people come to visit, uh, there is more than 50 uh, teachers and, and let's say, uh, like uh, coaches that uh, visit this place on daily basis and share their skills with the people who come to visit Wonderland. So like with the Wonderland guests. And I think the island attracts all of these talented here, talents here, and that makes it very comfortable for us to be here. Um, so I think that's the two main reasons why I'm actually in the island of Copangan. Yeah, it's an amazing place. And what you have created in Wonderland is almost like a future environment that I talk about quite a lot here on the podcast where we talk about living in abundance and about opening up to our inner limitless source and finding that abundance from inside. And coming to Wonderland, it's like stepping into the future for me. It's like a bubble around it, almost like stepping into the gates. It's like coming into a, a different time almost. Uh, so let's talk about the environment that you've been able to create for guests there. It's you created a place where people have everything they could wish for. Uh, because it's the saunas, it's the yoga classes, meditation classes, and many different types of uh, self-development classes. And it's the food buffets, swimming pool and it's the jungle and it's like you brought all these great things together and then you have a fixed rate so when if you just pay that rate you come in and you have all of these things so it's a as a guest it's just this place where you can really go with the inner flow to whatever classes you are drawn to you can eat when you feel like, you can swim, you can sauna, you can, and all these other things that I probably forgot, as well as all the other things outside. But for me, many times, it's just great to just stay inside this bubble and, and grow. So can you talk a little bit about how you were able to develop this? Yeah, um, you know, you talking about it, it's um, and and listening to you describing it, it's very it's very interesting. It's actually something I really like to hear, like how people view what is happening inside Wonderland. And so, 
just thank you for for sharing uh, your like what you see i i, I will say a few things about it the first thing is a little bit awkward but i will just say it is like we didn't plan it and i think there is something rooted in the fact that we didn't plan it i think what is really happening in the space of wonderland uh from the founders and the facilitators and the people that kind of live here all the time there is a lot of listening and observation of what's really happening which is guided under a very uh, uh like a simple concept that i call it simplicity and so if i think if you really present with what you're doing in life and you try to see how to make it simple so you finally will reach points where it seems like everything is very easy and flow and comfortable and i think this is how we ended up with the formats of what we are doing in wonderland i'll give you an example like how one of the decisions was made and that will give you like a very beautiful insight how we take decisions so when we started at the beginning we used to give vouchers for the guests that they could take to the yoga classes and then they use the voucher to participate in a yoga class which is kind of the most normal way for most of yoga centers around the world to operate so basically what happened is that we needed to give vouchers to the guests which is you need to manage it then the yoga teachers or the people in the class supposed to collect those vouchers and and like you can see there is a lot of hassle dealing with this voucher and at one point we said look everyone who comes to wonderland can participate in any class that you want and we don't check the vouchers and we don't use these vouchers anymore so we took a lot of overhead of management and what we realized that the system is way more simple like this and people are way more enjoying it and eventually like another thing that happened is when you go to a restaurant you you get a menu and you see it and you choose and you start to look what you prefer to eat and so on and so on and when we do the buffet it's like every evening we cook a different dinner for all our guests which is basically like you go to a friend dinner and he cooks for you he doesn't ask you what you want he's just doing the best that he can to serve you an amazing dinner and so there is no menu there is no uh, waitresses that need to get the orders there is no kitchen that need to make every order one by one and there is no people who need to think what they want to order and so just think how much work we don't need to do from the guest side from the service side and how what how comfortable is is to eat like in a buffet style and so almost everything that you will see around wonderland was kind of developed to the state that it is now because it's more simple it's more comfortable for everyone less thinking for everyone i think in general in wonderland we try to encourage people to think less i think as human we think so much what should i do where should i go what is the best thing to do and so on and so on and you know this thinking and thinking and overthinking it's 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 kind of a mental illness you know yeah. and i think many, many things we try to encourage people to think less you know we, even then in the classes in the schedule we try to make it as simple as possible so people will not need to think so much which class to go and which class they don't want to go and kind of encourage people just to come and to play and to explore really simplicity is one of the key points in wonderland another thing that is really in the heart of wonderland a lot of people don't know it but inside the space of wonderland there is about 30 people that living all around and about another 40 lives just next to wonderland and their life center is in wonderland So we are almost 70 people that spending time in the space eating and participating and so on and this is our life it's not like our vacation so when you come to visit wonderland 
Maybe for you it's a vacation, but for us it's our home. And so think that you are kind of coming to my home. And if I'm in the right mindset in my head, which I hope that all of us here in Wonderland are, we're basically inviting people to our home. And, and so when I cook in the kitchen, I cook for my family and my friends. And you also coming to join us to dinner. Uh, when we put the schedule or we put the gardens up or we put the activities or the sauna, it's I, I, I set up the sauna as, as like I set it to my family. So when you step inside the space of Wonderland, I'm assuming that a lot of people, they feel this kind of feeling that they go to friends' home. It's not like, like they're in a retreat, in a vacation, you know? It's more like coming to someone's home. And when you go to your friend's home and they love you and they care for you, I think you feel it. And I think that's a big part of the magic that is behind Wonderland, that there is a really big family here that is kind of... Uh, welcoming and, and being with the people that arrive. I, I think this is how we got to know each other in a way. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's really nice to hear you talk about it. And it's, it's, um, it's this flow or these uh, simplicities, you say, behind everything. So, and... Uh, mental illness or overthinking compartmentalize and sort of toned down to its minimum in that environment i also want to mention that it, it's a plunge it's a ice bath connected to the sauna because maybe some people think like why would you have a sauna in thailand <laughs> but it's, it's actually amazing to go to the sauna it's a steam sauna and then it's this uh, ice plunge you can do in between yeah it's an amazing practice it's very good for the mind and the body so let's talk about the uh, inner walk then so you were involved in developing this it's like a new revolutionary type of meditation can you talk about that yeah yeah um so in a way nothing new under the sun so it's like i'm not gonna just now say things that never said before in the history of humanity but you know sometimes you just uh, mix a uh, few things and you set them up in a certain way and you have a very nice modality that people can use and apply in their life so what i really think that we are doing around the space of inner walk we are kind of uh, we have prepared a nice cocktail from uh, ingredients that were always there. Uh, mm. If it makes some sense. So I will touch it a little bit and, and I will explain a little bit more. So the main point that I will say before I will talk what is inner work uh, specifically is understanding the intention behind uh, this modality and, and what is now called inner work. And basically the the main intention behind it is, where are you now? Where is your mind? Where is your thoughts? Uh, what is your capacity to be with your thoughts and your emotions? Um, and how much you really see what's going on inside of you, in your mind, in your emotional system, and how much can you hold space for yourself to go through some um, evolution in your life, uh, changes, and so on. And so this practice is basically uh, training us to be present with our thoughts and become aware to them and not spiral inside of them. Uh, and the modality of the practice is um, it's quite uh, primitive. Um, it's based on a very simple concept. It's basically um, you create yourself a space in a distance which is about 25 steps, or you can say 50 meters. And let's say in one side you have a wall. You walk in a straight line, let's say 25 steps, and the other side you have another wall. And when you get to the second wall, you turn around and you come back to the first wall. 
and you turn around and you come back to the second wall and you walk back and forth in a straight line between two walls or you can say between two trees or two obstacles uh, and it needs to be an obstacle it cannot be just a line that you draw on the ground or something like this and what is happening uh, during this practice we we're kind of guiding you to allow your mind to do what you want so opposed to many of us that practice meditation or mindfulness that we kind of trying to control our thoughts or be really aware to everything and so on and so on uh, I'm just going to guide you to let your mind do what you want and so you walk in straight line turning around every 25 steps and allowing your mind to be free and to uh, think whatever thought that you want and what is happening behind the scenes is when you start walking immediately your mind go into unconscious thinking so like running into thoughts and every time you turn around is like someone waking you up from this unconscious thinking and you become conscious to your own thoughts and as you start to walk back to the first wall you again go to unconscious thinking and when you reach the wall and you need to turn around it wakes you up again so it's create an endless phenomena of going into unconscious thinking and waking up going into unconscious and waking up going into unconscious and waking up as you go back and forth between the walls and that's the entire concept of this practice it's very very simple um what we have discovered uh, with the years and thousands of people that have done this modality with us is that the repetition of this action uh, again and again and again and again consecutively for, for a few hours basically strengthened the muscle of being present and aware of what's going on inside my head. And that's naturally can change someone uh, life um, maybe yeah. we can take a, a pause and, and you ask me a question if you like but then I can go if you want a little bit deeper and explain the technology inside our brain that is being uh, activated in this uh, process yeah so let's just mention that it's four days and it's four hours per day we do this right and then we have a break in wonderland in the afternoon and evenings yeah can you please uh, talk a little bit more about this inner technology that you mentioned okay so um i i will give a very interesting uh, example and that will enlighten a lot about what's really going on inside of us as human being um so i will take this analogy of you trying to collect information okay and so you have five senses that you use in order to collect information eyes ears nose uh, physical sensation and taste and so on and and this is how we basically you you gather information but there is way more information uh, that is operated inside of you in your life what do you feel what do you think what is happening in all the unconscious thinking that we have as human beings? So there is a lot of information that you as a human being is not exposed to. It's like running inside of you, but you don't observe it. So like you don't collect information about what's going on in your unconscious thinking. And so think that you as a human being uh, have this um, inner optimization system that is constantly trying to optimize life and so in order to optimize your life you need to gather information like it's like an optimization system you collect data you monitor the data that you have and based on the data that you collect you can make better decisions as if i will give you a simple example let's say you're running a business but you never look at the information of the business how many customers you have, how many sales they make, what kind of products they buy. Uh, let's say all your customer leaves a, a review. 
you don't read the reviews. So you basically, you cannot optimize your business because you're oblivious to the information. You, you are like, you're not looking at the information that your business is creating. Uh, I hope it makes sense, yeah? Um, yeah. So think that you have uh, a certain camera that is not really functioning or it's functioning really weak because the uh, glass of the camera is very dirty. And this camera is the camera that is looking inside of you as a human being, which is watching what's going on inside my system, inside my body, and inside my mind. And so let's say uh, that in your case, you shut down the camera. It, it's not operating. And in my case, I turned on the camera. So I can collect way more information that you can collect, meaning that you're not able to optimize your life as I can optimize my life because I turn on the camera. And that's the analogy of becoming self-aware to your own self-experience. And so the practice of inner work is really focused on allowing your mind to do what he wants equal to the concept of please do not interfere just observe what's going on so your mind is very free to do what you want and from the other side i'm using this walking back and forth as a technology to make sure that your camera is always on so you allow your mind to do what he wants and constantly i'm making sure that the camera is on meaning that in four hours time of practice you collect a lot of information about yourself, which you normally don't see. Because normally, we try to manage our thoughts, we try to control the mind, we distract ourselves in, in content, if it's entertainment like uh, Netflix or like uh, Facebook feed or, or maybe, you know, even talking with other people, which is kind of like maybe very nice, but I don't really allow myself to experience my own mind in a very free way and just observe it. So the concept of inner work is basically creating a space for you to observe your inner process without interfering with this, with that, which eventually will allow you to optimize your, uh, your inner process and, and guide you into a better quality of life. Um, I will give a practical example, maybe? Sure. So, so let's say that in my case, uh, I'm a human being that have a lot of expectations. So we, we know today to identify that when you have a lot of expectations, you're living under a lot of stress. Usually there is a lot of judgment outside and judgment inside. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. That should be in a better quality. That shouldn't happen like this. It should happen differently. So life with a lot of expectations contains a lot of suffering. And so when you start to do the practice of inner work, what will naturally will happen, you will observe your mind processing a lot of expectations. And at some point, just naturally, by observing it, some, some things inside of you will naturally change and few things will happen. One, you will be way more aware to the expectations that you create. You will be way more aware to the influence of the expectations that you already have. You will naturally stop creating a lot of expectations you will naturally dissolve away from a lot of expectations that you already created, meaning a lot of beliefs about how the world should work, how your partner should behave, how your business should be, and you know, so on and so on, how your kids should be, and, and all of those things. And instead of having so many expectations, you will become maybe just more curious and more open what the moment is bringing, what life really shows you, and not what you really want it to be. And so naturally, this feeling of expectations will dissolve away from your life, 
And you will see that it's happening in a way that you don't really make an effort not to have an expectation. It's more of like, it's kind of like someone is telling a joke. So what will happen naturally inside of you when the next time your mind will start to talk with this tone of expectation, something inside of you will be really aware of it and you will even smile, kind of, ah, again, this joke about expectation. Mm, I know this one. And you will not give it as much as you used to give it before. And this will create a lot of sense of freedom and comfort. Yeah. And hearing you talk about it, it reminds me of the process I was going through when when I did inner walk back then. Uh, and before inner walk, I'm not saying this was the only thing, but it was one of the key components in my journey at that time because I was living two lives. I was living, I was spiritual and I had a lot of spiritual friends and doing spiritual things, but my body was still working a, in a job that I didn't 100% enjoy. So I had a division between uh, and this is the expectations, right? I was the expectations was that I need to have a normal job to be able to provide for my family, which created this split in me. So my soul, so to speak, was living sort of trapped in this body that was just uh, acting according to external expectations and trying to provide for my family. And uh, inner walk, walking back and forth for four hours per day, I was going through many different emotional breakthroughs, you can say. And sometimes fluke, you came and walked with me, I remember, and we created this energy body together, like my energy body, and then you because Fluke is a facilitator, he comes and like when he sees that someone needs support or something like that, he comes and walks with us, which just boosts the energy. Because sometimes it's like in my process walking there, it's after three hours and it sort of can get stuck. Like it's it's just not flowing. And because my own inner connection to my source was not strong enough to be able to move through those things that came up. And then Fluke's energy came in and just gave that comfort and support. And not that he gave me uh, the life force, so to speak, but it was it's like if you have a fire, if it's just one stick on fire, it can easily go out. But if you have two sticks, they are amplifying each other's fires so fluke's presence ignited even deeper connection inside myself so i was able to overcome those uh, emotional conflicts or whatever and so it goes and goes and um, so that was my experience it's really beautiful uh what you shared about walking together Sometimes, you know, uh, first of all, we do this practice usually in a group setting. So you don't walk alone, uh, which the group um, gives this container that like uh, the energy is keep, keeping up, you know, like we keep walking and everyone is walking and, and we keep each other energy up. Uh, but there is a very deep uh, moments during the practice that I call it uh, uh, full surrendering to the experience. And sometimes, like, uh, when we walk alone, it's a little bit more challenging to fully surrender to everything and to just allow the flow of it to, to take over. And so when we walk together, sometimes it's, it's kind of boosting this thing that allows us to really fully surrender. And, uh, and yeah, I remember, you know, till today, I still remember this moment that we walked together. It was really nice. It was really powerful. So let's talk about uh, Bitcoin a little bit. Have you done some research? Have you figured out if it's any difference between Bitcoin and other 
digital currencies? It's a very delicate topic uh, for me to touch. Um, I will say even very controversial. Um, I will share why and where does it touch me. I think that the first thing I would like to say around this topic that uh, you know this saying about uh, a knife, you can kill with it and you can make a salad. So it's really a question, what do you want to do with it? Mm -hmm. uh, and no, knife is not bad or good. Is the hand that is using the knife will define the uses of it. And I find that Bitcoin uh, is a topic that this analogy is very relevant to because it can be like a, an amazing thing and it can represent the devil by itself. You know, uh, it has many faces. Um, not as Bitcoin has faces, is more of how we humanity uh, or humans use it. Bitcoin or other uh, digital currencies and so on and, and all what is happening with this in specifically in the last five years, you know. So that's a very delicate topic. Uh, the reason is, is very delicate for me is because I meet a lot of people that are, let's call it victims of the new era of the digital currencies. And that's a topic that is not so much spoken so easily about because there is a, so many promise in this concept of cryptocurrency and, and blockchain and getting out of the system and being free from governments that control us. And so there is a lot of glory around it and a lot of like beautiful ideas. And, you know, for someone like me with have quite a big of an anarchist background, I will say. So there is a lot of like, yes, and it's amazing, and let's all go to use it and so on. But, um, you know, I'm exposed to the other side of this, and like, so how many people lost their money in that industry? How many frauds are happening in that industry? And the lack of, let's say, education that people have around it. So people that are very unexperienced and uneducated around money and investments are basically playing with things that they don't know how to use. And so they cut their own hands in a way. There is a nice teaching uh, in the book of Tao that says the about the master carpenter tools. Not everyone can touch them because if you touch them, you will cut your hand. And I feel that there is a lot of uh, this happening uh, around it. So, yeah, it's a very delicate topic for me to touch because sometimes I speak about it in a negative way and it sounds like I'm against uh, Bitcoin or something like this, which is actually not the point. My point is I'm not against Bitcoin. I'm against the misuse of it and the way it's being manipulated or or how people understand this uh, industry and so on and so on yeah it's uh, yeah many people get hurt but also many people get hurt in the fiat society so if we think about the uh, technology uh, I mean people will always make mistakes. And we can't blame the technology for the mistakes. So if we focus on like the difference between Bitcoin and other crypto tokens like centralized crypto, because Bitcoin is decentralized, right? And then the dollar and all these fiat currencies, they are centralized. And also the altcoins, uh, they are most often centralized. They have a founder, they have a, it's a company behind them. So what makes Bitcoin unique is that it's decentralized. It, it do, do not have any, nobody can control it, right? Yeah. Now you see, this is already a lot of education, what you're bringing up here. Like, because a lot of people don't even understand the difference between centralized and not centralized and the meaning of, of and the impact of those things. 
And I think that's already a lot to understand, uh, which is uh, something very important because people don't understand the manipulation of uh, of currencies and uh, and the meaning of it, uh, which is very uh, troubling, let's say. Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, so Bitcoin was built uh, as a response to all these centralized systems because it's really created in a way that nobody can control it. And it's based on the idea that anyone can mine. If you just have electricity, you can mine Bitcoin. So in this way, it just, it just spreads around the world because you can be anywhere to mine Bitcoin. And that's also why no government can stop it because it's just it's just all over the place. And then the alt altcoins, uh, all these other coins, the two thousand or so or twenty thousand maybe now, twenty thousand different coins. This is usually a human that is trying to sort of piggyback or use this hype around crypto. So they create like a business ID. And they create a token and then they market it. They give some for free to celebrities and so on. And they try to earn money. It's a business model, right? So all of the altcoins, this is just companies trying to earn money. But Bitcoin is this, um, it just is decentralized and no one can control it. So the purpose of this podcast is to to talk to spiritual aware people like yourself. And, and I'm sort of asking the question, is it just me or wouldn't it be a wise idea to use money that no one can control? Because as long as we use money that's, that it's a business idea, like the Federal Reserve or or Ethereum or something like that, then we can use this. It becomes like humanity's money because nobody can control it. Do you, what do you think? I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, I find that the challenge that we're actually facing is at the end of the day that uh, governments, meaning I'm a citizen of Israel or a citizen of the United States or Germany or whatever it is. Governments uh, uh, create rules that regulate um, our money anyway, if it's Bitcoin or, 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 or US dollar, uh, meaning that, uh, you know, we need, like, for example, in Israel, you need to report every transaction that you make uh, with Bitcoin uh, to the system. Um, which is basically kind of undermining the entire concept of Bitcoin, which is basically allowing the money to be basically free for monetization. So what is really happening, and this is the real question, is uh, basically uh, the challenge that government are trying to fight very strongly, which is basically money laundering and monitoring every transaction for tax purposes and so on is basically in a very big conflict with the concept of Bitcoin. And so if this conflict is so deep, uh, will governments ever allow us to feel comfortable when we are using Bitcoins? As of today, you know, there is a lot of regulations that basically kind of taking the the concept, uh, they breaking the concept of, of Bitcoin by saying, let's say, if you're just want to be an, uh, a citizen that is obeying the law and you're an Israeli citizen or an American citizen, you must report your transactions to the government. So it's very interesting uh, question how this will, will evolve, because it seems like that the more we move forward with the years, the government of more in control. I don't know if you know, but now in Thailand, it's considered illegal to make business transactions in cryptocurrencies. Meaning that officially, if I want to allow people to pay us in Wonderland 
uh, with Bitcoin, I'm not allowed to do this. So it's actually kind of saying that this is like illegal action uh, in a way. And so what's really the interesting question is how do we bridge between these two ideas? Uh, is it possible to bridge between the legalization of uh, cryptocurrencies and specifically Bitcoin uh, and what's happening now with the governments and the way they approach it? And for me, it's a big question. Like, uh, basically, are they going to bury it? And if it can be buried, you know, um, I was around Bitcoin when it was uh, like cents. You know, uh, I'm talking about many, many, many years ago, uh, more than 11 years ago, uh, 13 years ago, something like this. It was really like on the cents. Um, and since then, uh, the Bitcoin, of course, uh, lived very uh, uh, comfortably in the dark web and in the informal transaction business, business uh, like things that are not reported, you can call it like a dark web, but also like the black market and so on. But it's a question, if, can we make it that we will actually do business transaction and daily transaction with each other around Bitcoin in all fields and feel comfortable about it? And I really doubt uh, how the governments will handle it. Uh, I see this as a spiritual process, you know, because it's what's happening and what you were talking about that is happening in every human. This is also happening to whole humanity on a global scale. So... You know, we have the expectations and we try to control our environment. So our true self just is, and it just flows, and it's just simply, simple. But then we have all of these control mechanisms, you know. I'm talking about inner person now, right? When they come to, yeah. to inner walk, the problem is their soul is already very, very good. The problem is all the control patterns that they have trying to fix their life in a certain way. And this is what's causing the problems. Now, on a global scale, this is what we are doing as a whole race, as a humanity, where decentralization is the future. It is the evolution of consciousness just as it's you can see it happening in humans around you all the time and i can see this on a global scale where bitcoin and internet and all these decentralized things that don't care about which country they are in or anything like that so it's these decentralized sort of grassroots things that is just it just wants to liberate humanity. You don't care about these rules and regulations that politicians are coming up with. And then the political structures, they are sort of like a symbol of the control and the fear. So inside the governments, they are run by fear. So when they see something like Bitcoin, they act similar like a, a control system in a human, in a person. So they try to squash it. So what you're saying is that you're not sure that the true self of humanity will be stronger than the control patterns of humanity. And this is this is the perspective that that many many Bitcoiners are looking at this. It's like Bitcoin is part of this love consciousness. And this is why I call this podcast Bitcoin Consciousness, because it, it's bringing in a higher consciousness of respect, integrity, and uh, personal sovereignty. And of course, we will have people that want to keep the old, and they are just cleaning they're just creating cows they are doing all these operations they are sp spreading propaganda they are doing anything they can to 
to keep people in a low consciousness. So what we're talking about here is not whether or not some laws can be made. It's if humanity is able to use this time in history to break loose from the slave mentality or the slave patterns that we keep on recreating. Are you following? I'm very following, and um, I think that you're touching the core question. Uh, I'm fully with you, fully with you. It's really a question, uh, very, very delicate question. I'm I'm trying to see if since the day that I'm, I, 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 I met um, the concept of uh, decentralization of stuff, if it's a different concepts of Web2, which are even more simpler than Bitcoin, like, you know, like Wikipedia, for example. If you take Wikipedia as a nice example of how uh, basically um, the encyclopedia of, of our, uh, the biggest encyclopedia in the world, which is Wiki, is being co-created by humanity and it's kind of decentralized and it's very easy to for people to contribute and so on. It's like so it's an amazing, beautiful process to see how, how it helped humanity and and many other things like this. And so when I'm looking at uh, Bitcoin and I'm trying to see what's really happened in the last 15 years uh, with that. So yeah, it's like now everybody knows to say the word Bitcoin. But uh, yeah, it's still very challenging to see if we can actually really transact with each other without uh, without the system around us. Uh, and I find that it's still very limited. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big question. I think uh, it will take way more time than we think for us to be really free with that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's also many other things. I mean, Bitcoin is one of the tools, but as I see it, Wonderland, Inner Walk, all these things, they are different tools we have to, I see them as transitional tools from a centralized society based on power over another, you know, hierarchies. Uh, and that's the ingrained patterns. I, like, I call this sometimes the fiat consciousness. The fiat consciousness is based in fear. So all the actions inside the fiat consciousness is fear-based actions, which is controlling, trying to control. And then everything decentralized, like Bitcoin and like inner walk, uh, it's just it's just this free technology like everyone can create an app on top of it and earn some money but meditation is decentralized but you can sort of create your own version of it and and help people and create it into a business but it's this like on the protocol level what we're tapping into is this love consciousness which is sort of opposite of the fear consciousness. So we have this higher consciousness, the love consciousness, that it's just everyone is equal in the way that everyone has a node on the creation network. So this is like the language I use. And so like just like Bitcoin is decentralized because it's all these different nodes. Like I run a node and... Uh, most Bitcoiners have their own node, which is a copy of the whole thing. So that's why no government can come and, and take it over because the the copy of the ledger is just spread all over the world. And this is what we can see also with every person has a node, which is our soul, our highest self. And so it's this decentralization co concept is moving away from religions where you have to listen to a teacher. It's just connecting your own node on the Bitcoin network. It's like connecting to your own inner source and act from your own inner guidance instead of following anyone else's uh, rules. So it's a, 
it's a huge shift in consciousness and you're living right in the middle of it. I think what I'm just suggesting here is that Bitcoin is part of that movement. And I I believe it's like the next stage of uh, of consciousness. Yeah, I think that um, my dilemma is kind of flying around between structure and non-structure and like how we make decisions together or not or how we cooperate with each other by based on what principles. So like, uh, let's say, you know, uh, government and systems and rules uh, have their function in the concept of this is the way we're going to play and everybody needs to play by those rules. And, and that's how we know to interact with each other. And so if there is none of that, or we trying to break free of that structure that we used to have, which is, you can call it government or systems or the king or whatever it is, the question is, um, what would be the principles that we cooperate together and and can co-create uh, uh, and like you know, even like driving in the road, we do agree that we all need to drive on the left side because if some will drive on the right side and some will drive on the left side, we're gonna have an accident and people will die. So we try to create a concept that we can follow together. And the question is like where the lines will be drawn, you know, between giving us the freedom to decentralize stuff and to be autonomous in, in our life uh, and between uh, creating principles that allow us to co-create together and we follow the same guidance. And I think that's a very, I think Bitcoin is in the center of it, yeah? Because it's really bringing uh, uh, these questions even more alive than ever it was before. Because now we have even the technology to be decentralized, let's say. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and this is part of the transition. Is It's trying to figure out new ways of how to work together. It's uh, it's easy to fall back into the old structures because we were all conditioned by the schools and the society we grew up in. So we have these templates for how things should work. And as we step into our true self, we become guided from within. And then it can be fine when we are alone. And then we come into a group. And then it's like, how do I need to go back now to the old models, how to work together? Or can we can we just sit with it? Can we just see if our imagination can bring us some new ideas? Like, like we don't have to stress, because it's when we st- stress if we are pressured, that's when we are sort of become afraid and we go back to the old things. So I think we are in a time where if you're in a group, we can just take it easy and we don't have to jump to conclusions but just like sit with it the same way as we do it if we come up with a childhood trauma it's just like a collective childhood trauma you can say and then it's like okay let's just wait with this maybe sleep on it maybe someone gets a new idea how to solve this in a new way and that's sort of how the the new consciousness is coming you know it's coming through our imagination so rather than acting from old templates we are just uh, intuitively tapping into higher consciousness and, and, and finding new ways of doing things. Yeah, I, I, I say uh, I say it a lot that uh, we are in a new era. In the last uh, 15, 20 years, it's, it's been pumping up uh, more and more that it's like it's a new era. But we also need to understand that it will take time to recreate and reshift uh, from old patterns to new ways of co-creating and uh, life. And we should take time with this. Like you're saying, uh, we need to be patient and, and see uh, how we can evolve, uh, even if it takes time. Yeah, you, you're familiar with this, that the external reality is 
uh, a mirror of our inner reality, right? Yes, yes, for sure. So, if we have old programs inside, then we will use those old programs on the outside. So, this inner process that we are doing, we are upgrading the programs. And then, in the external life, we are coming up with new ideas, right? But it's not actually in the external world that we are coming up with these new ideas. It's that we we upgrade our inner programming. We drop the fear programs, and we allow new frequencies to come in. And then they materialize in the external world as new ideas, new way of doing things. I was, uh, it was about 13, 14 years ago, I was uh, part of a group that was debating a lot of uh, issues about how the world is operating and and solutions and stuff. And we came up with this understanding that uh, we need to have an anonymous system that uh, allows people to influence uh, decision-making, governments and voting, like elections and stuff. It's not to be unique identified, by, by, but uh, anonymous. So, uh, each one will be, uh, uh, be able to act and contribute in an anonymous way. And the concept behind was that if it's being done anonymously, there is no, there is way less ego involved. And you know, back in the days, it was really uh, interesting for me to explore this idea and uh, this concept. And we we noticed that when people really uh, uh, appearing in a way that it's not their face, like they can really be anonymous, and uh, and they contribute. So something else is coming up, like uh, it gives opportunities for things. And I think, uh, you know, all these kind of things, like working in a different way, and like crypto is, uh, like Bitcoin is bringing in, and uh, so on, I think uh, can even raise and evolve into new government systems and new way to govern humanity and to manage it or co-manage it uh, together uh, in in a new ways and i and i think uh that will be where bitcoin will not be a currency it will be something that is way more than that uh, and i think that uh, really interesting potential lies there yeah maybe people listening to this uh, they think that you live on a tropical island you live in a place where you always have amazing food, interesting people. And is it anything you feel is missing from your life? Because it can look very perfect from the outside. You know, uh, and the answer to this question lies in a something a little bit more fundamental which is my basic perception of uh, the concept of need and want and I let go of those ideas in my life of need and want so I live in a reality uh, inside my head that I'm content with whatever is so I'm sure that if I make a list of things that I don't have or there isn't on this island, or I don't know, probably the list can be uh, very, very big. But I'm sure that if you take any human being in whatever life he's living, uh, he can make a list that is very long uh, about things that he wants or needs. Um, I think what I've learned in my life is to release the concept of need and want and live in whatever uh, is uh, available. Uh, around me and within me and I live very content life and very satisfied life so I cannot give you now something that I'm missing because it's not something that I do inside my head like uh, thinking about what I'm missing uh, there is a very nice teaching that uh, I heard and I will share it here and maybe it will give some inspiration for people uh, at the end of the day 
We want to be satisfied. Being satisfied meaning I have what I want. And so if I have what I want, I'm satisfied. Now the only question is uh, what do I have and what do I want? And if there are things that I want that I don't have, so I'm not satisfied. So either I will try to get them or I will release the wanting. I understood that it's very easy to release the wanting and to be satisfied. And I think that most of us are trying to reach what we want all the time. And it feels like we're never going to be satisfied. So I just understood that I can just drop the wanting and I'm automatically satisfied. And so I'm happy with what I have. Uh, some people think I have a lot and this is why I'm satisfied. I lived in a temple for a bit, uh, for a part time of my life. Uh, I lived in uh, uh, with very different lifestyles also during with this concept of being satisfied. I had money, I had no money, I had the food that I wanted, I didn't have the food and so on. Uh, I think you can be satisfied with any life that you have. And I think it's a mindset. Uh, one of the things that really inspired me to understand this is when I just arrived to Thailand in the first year, I traveled in very poor areas of Thailand and I met the most happiest people that I ever met in my life and the kindest people that I ever met in my life. And those people had less than everyone else that I knew in my life at that time. And I understood that they are very satisfied uh, from what they have and very content with what they have and they are very happy people. So... I don't think I can say that I'm missing anything. I think that uh, I've upgraded my mindset to a place that I have everything that, that I need. And so I'm satisfied. Uh, and yeah, I know that sometimes looking at me living on this island in Wonderland, it seems like I have a lot, but, but it's not about what I have. It's really about how I look at it. That's very good. Very good answer, very powerful, and uh, I think it's a good place to end here. So I want to thank you a lot for coming on and for for being my friend. And I look forward to seeing you soon again. Send you a lot of love and send a lot of love to everyone who's listening. You know, in everything that we do, we try to end with this. Uh, prayer or blessing which in English it basically said something very simple may all beings be happy and free so I'll just send it to everyone who's listening and to all your relatives may all beings be happy and free thank you very much thank you